This is Packers Now. Kyle Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Touchdown! Place for all your Packers news. Lost it over the left side into the end zone. Intercepted! Adrian Get the latest updates on the green and gold. Snap to Aaron Rodgers. Sets, fires, right side. Got Jordan Kelly at the 30. Touchdown! It's always Packers season at Packers Now. Right here, right now. And the Packers are going to the NFC Championship game. I am your host, Ben Kurkowski, and today what I wanted to talk about was the huge opportunity the Packers, I thought they had to add some a star player to this defense, a true star player. And that player was supposed to be cornerback Stephon Gilmore, formerly of the New England Patriots. The Patriots were supposed to cut Stephon Gilmore last night, but today when they went to go make the trade official, the Panthers came in and offered a sixth-round pick instead of just simply releasing Stephon Gilmore. And so they actually got something back in return, and the Packers missed out on an opportunity to take a chance at signing Stephon Gilmore to their roster, which would have been a huge boost for the Packers. Uh, I was really looking forward to this, and it was it wasn't just all talk either. You know, Devonte Adams uh, said, "Call me on his on his post when Stephon Gilmore was saying goodbye to the New England Patriots." There was another report that came out that Stephon Gilmore wanted to go to the Packers. He had talked to multiple highly important people there. I'm not sure who they were. Obviously, it was Devonte Adams was one of them, and more, but. It looked like Stephon Gilmore, it was almost a for sure deal that Gilmore was going to try to go play for the Packers and win a Super Bowl, and which was very exciting because Stephon Gilmore, he had a down year last year, but the three years prior from 2017 to 2019, Stephon Gilmore was one of the best corners in the NFL. And in 2019, he actually won defensive player of the year. He was just that good. And so the Packers would have had a huge boost to their Secondary, after a Jair Alexander injury that is definitely concerning because the Packers would have some freedom then to let Jair rest and get him fully healthy, even though they should, with a guy like Gilmore being added to the roster. So that would have been a huge addition having, uh, and then when healthy, the Packers could have had Eric Stokes on the outside, Gilmore on the other side, and Jair in the slot, and that would have been a fantastic fantastic secondary for the Packers. But this Jalen Smith news continues to become more and more real. Nothing is official necessarily at this point, but it feels like everything is done and papers pretty much have been signed and Jalen Smith looks like he is going to become a Green Bay Packer. Money was not an issue in this negotiation process for Jalen Smith because he is coming off that five-year $70 million contract that the Cowboys still owed him plenty, plenty of money on. And so with that, the Packers could swoop in, not need to offer a ton of money and Jalen Smith has chosen Green Bay as his destination of choice to be able to go and play football and this is huge for the Packers to add another linebacker to this one of the weaker groups or weaker position groups on this roster for the Packers Uh, right now on the roster the Packers have Devondre Campbell who they love and they are very excited about another free agency signing this year that 
Brian Gutekinds does deserve a lot of credit for a guy who's added speed, added leadership, added confidence to this defense, and has been a great overall linebacker so far this season. But behind him, none of the guys have really stepped up in a major way. Chris Barnes has been struggling with the concussion, but when he has played, he has not played well. Oren Burks and Ty Summers, both are special teams players, but not much else. They do not have, they don't add very much to this defense at all. But Jalen Smith has the pedigree and has the talent, and we've seen him in the past play at a very high level, and that's a chance you take. A low-risk, low-cost option, which we're going to talk about a lot today, this is one of those, and this is a guy who could step in and become our second linebacker on the field and make a huge impact for the Packers with his speed, with his coverage ability, with his uh, success he's had in the past. I'm very excited to see how he's used moving forward for the Packers. And with that, this is just a really cheap deal as well. This is going to be a guy who costs the Packers like a million dollars max. And that's not a very expensive move to add a guy to your roster who could, like I said, literally become our number two linebacker. And the Packers are playing a lot more two linebacker sets this season, a little, a lot less dime, a lot less nickel. And I think they're going to continue to play that well way if they have a linebacker they trust who they can put on the field. And I think... Jalen Smith could become that guy. I think we see a lot of the times, even though he has struggled over the last two seasons-ish, Jalen Smith is still a very good linebacker. And sometimes just a change of environment for veterans can play a huge role in just their success. Even if we look at Zadarius Smith when he came to Green Bay. If we look at Adrian Amos, Preston Smith, all of those guys, they came into this new culture, this new place, and they feel like... Just this reset has happened in their life. They get this reset for a new scheme. They get a reset of just a a, a fresh start without any sort of beliefs or anything that's holding them back whatsoever. And I think it's really good for any veteran. And I think a guy like Jalen Smith to be cut mid-season for a bunch of rookies is going to motivate this guy. A guy who now the money isn't guaranteed anymore and he wants to earn another contract. And because of that, we might see a Jalen Smith that starts to look more like that 2018 Pro Bowl linebacker that he was. And what Jalen Smith has done very well so far during his career consistently is his ability to play in coverage. This is a guy who can not be a liability on third down because he can match up against tight ends. He can match up against running backs. He can play well in zone. He can drop back. He can find his spots. And that's what's amazing about him because he is pretty quick. He is pretty shifty, uh, even though he is recovering from that knee injury. And on top of that, he's a very sure tackler. So if we are playing a lot of zone, we are playing a defense that's set up in such a way that is trying to keep everything in front of us. This is a guy who is a very sure sure tackler so far during his career consistently, even when he hasn't been the most healthy. And because of that, he's going to keep everything in front of him. He's not going to let guys get yards after the catch. And that's huge because we've seen in the past how much that has hurt the Packers. And so although Jalen Smith, as of late, has never been the run defender we hoped he'd be, at times he has been. When he has played lights out, when he has played at full speed, he hasn't been thinking and trying to decipher what the offense is doing. Maybe in this new scheme, if we give him a role that seems more simplified, he might be able to even improve as a run defender and still continue to play well as a tackler, play well in coverage, and that would be much better than any of the other 
three linebacker choices we currently have on the roster. And it adds depth. It adds depth and and you need depth all over your roster. You need depth. And we're going to get into all of this today, but I'm very excited about this Jalen Smith signing. And I think it's a very smart move. You know, it's going to cost the Packers almost nothing. And maybe it doesn't come out to anything, but maybe it comes out to something great and makes our entire defense even just a tiny bit better, a little bit better, maybe even a lot more better. <laughs> and with moves like this, these moves add up. And these are the types of moves that if you look back at Super Bowl franchises, Super Bowl winners each and every year, you look back and you see, hey, they signed this low-cost option. They got this low-cost player, and he came out and he played fantastic this year. And if you take more swings, okay, the more swings you have, the more chances you have to hit home runs, just like the lottery, just like anything, just like when we're talking about draft picks. And this is basically kind of like draft picks, okay? Finding guys, finding veterans who are costing little to nothing and taking a chance on them that they start, they return back to form uh, even though they hadn't played like that in the years past in the recent in recent history. So I'm very excited for Jalen Smith. And even though I would have loved to see Jalen Smith and Stefan Gilmore in green Bay, it's nice to see that the Packers will be having Jalen Smith. And the rest of this podcast is what I want to do is I want to look at this off season as a whole right now, because right now, at the moment, the Packers are without a lot of key players who are out dealing with injuries and our depth is being tested. And to me, it makes me question our entire offseason. And so as I was doing some digging and thinking back to my thoughts over the offseason, I want to reveal how handling certain personnel decisions could have changed the entire complexity of the Packers regular season so far. And it doesn't not to say that the Packers are not a good football team. But they're not as good as they should be. You know, they're not 0 and 4. They're not 1 and 3. Um, the Packers are 3 and 1, which is good. Um, but what I am curious and I want to look at and I want us to dive into today is should have the Packers considered some other options than the ones they, uh, and some different decisions than the ones they made this offseason that could have given this team a lot more confidence at this point in the regular season? Uh, maybe the Packers would still be 3 and 1, but I wouldn't have to consider every single week, hey, Will the Steelers be able to beat the Packers? Will the 49ers be able to beat the Packers? Could the Lions beat the Packers? I say things like that every single week as I'm previewing games for you guys because right now the Packers have some weak spots. They have some things, they have some concerns that could have been addressed this offseason, which I don't think they necessarily were. I think with the moves we could have made, which we're going to look at today, we would be seeing the Packers as a top team, not just in the NFC North, the Packers are going to win the NFC North, but the, I think if we look at the moves we're going to look at right now, they would be a top team in the entire NFC and even the entire NFL. And so first, I want to start with the process of handling our offensive line. Last year, the Packers uh, had the number one pass blocking unit in the entire NFL and the number two overall offensive line just behind the Cleveland Browns. And it was this consistent offensive line that allowed the Packers to run their true offense that helped them be the number one scoring offense in the entire NFL. We've seen just this year how a few major subtractions has affected our dominance on the offensive side of the football with guys like David Bakhtiari out with injury, Corey Lindsey gone, and Elkin Jenkins playing out of position and now injured as well. Now, how Brian Gutekinds handled the process of this offensive line, I would give him a huge thumbs up on his decisions. The Packers went into last offseason struggling to have any cash to work with. And so because of that, they could only make a few major moves. And so the Packers decided to move on from Corey Lindsley, 
who was the best center in the NFL last season by a long shot. And because of that, he was paid as the highest center in the NFL. That was a great decision from Brian Gutekinds to not pay him, uh, even if he continued to play at that level for the Packers. Because interior offensive linemen, guards, centers, these are, these are players who are replaceable players. And all the data tells us that all you need is three solid guys, solid to good players on your, on your offensive line. Then after that, you can get by, and you're still pretty darn good offensively. So far this season, even if we look at Corey Lindsley, he's still playing very well. He has a 77.1 overall grade. But he's not even nearly playing as good as he did last year and not nearly up to par with the contract that he was paid with. And on top of that move of not re-signing Corey Lindsley, the Packers made an effort to really add depth to this offensive line and bring in competition through the draft, which is exactly what I would have done as well. They added two interior offensive linemen in the second and fourth rounds and an offensive tackle in the sixth round while still signing a veteran offensive tackle who started, started all 16 games for the Titans last season in Dennis Kelly. These moves allowed the Packers to take many swings to not only find five competent starters on the offensive line, but it allowed for much competition, for as much competition as possible. And the Packers truly now have good depth to be able to endure through injuries they have dealt with so far this season. Injuries to Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, and Lucas Patrick. And so as good as that process was for the Packers, I'm still not too sure of the decisions they made for the draft picks they used on those positions. The Packers drafted center Josh Myers in the second round, Royce Newman in the fourth, and Cole Van Lynn in the sixth. Now, it probably sounds crazy to say uh, because Josh Myers and Royce Newman are starting for the Packers since week one, which is amazing that they found that talent. But the question is, did they still overdraft these guys? And I would say yes. Uh, Think about it like this. Although both of those guys were quote-unquote hits for the Packers in the draft because they're starting now this year as rookies, which is impressive, These were players the Packers were really high on. But you need to realize when they were drafted and when you could have drafted them. Okay, for example, Josh Myers was drafted at pick 62, but the consensus draft board, so this is a combined consensus draft board, one of the most accurate things if you look at the entire draft, where people are valued and where they end up being drafted. And you can look every single year looking at reaches and uh, guys who fell in, fell down the draft boards and were steals. And you see that later on in their careers. Okay. Um, and on that consensus draft board, um, Josh Myers was the number 75 prospect and the Packers drafted him a hair early at pick 62, which isn't the end of the world. But the guy I wanted the Packers to draft was center Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma who drafted, who was drafted the very next pick later at pick 63. And on the consensus draft board, he was ranked as the 48th best player in the draft which would have been a steal to get him at pick 75 when he was the 48th player on that ranking. It's literally almost a full round better of a player that the Packers had the opportunity to draft and they didn't. And let's just compare these two guys to start the 2021 season. Right now, they both almost have the exact same pass blocking grade as Myers has a 67.6 pass blocking grade and Humphrey has a 67.3 grade so far this season. So they're neck and neck with each other, basically the same. But what puts these two guys apart is how they have performed in the running game. Humphrey has an elite 90.3 run blocking grade and Myers has a below average 57.7 run blocking grade. And so right now, because of that, Humphrey is the second best center in the entire NFL as a rookie, while Josh Myers is the 30th. And so while the process of drafting an interior offensive line high to replace Corey Lindsley was smart, the player they decided to draft was just wrong. It was. Um, 
you I knew which of these two players was the better player and that Humphrey he was more athletic and he performed better in college boom it was that easy I just sometimes think drafting shouldn't be that hard um, and I think the best decision here was Creed Humphrey but the Packers decided it was Josh Myers and I don't think that was the right call um, now with the Royce Newman pick again a starting off as a lineman for the Packers we are excited about but he again was drafted much earlier than he was supposed to be the Packers picked Newman at pick 143, but on the consensus draft board, he was listed as the 204th player, a sixth round pick. So the Packers drafted him about 60 picks early, almost two full rounds. So right there, that's a huge waste of resources when you can get that guy much later. And a guy I truly liked better than Newman was again picked after him in Trey Smith. Smith out of Tennessee was drafted 23 picks, 23 picks after Newman. And at this point, again, he... Smith has played much better than Newman has. Both have started all four games for their teams, but Newman's overall grade has been 43.4, which with those types of grades, you should not be starting with a 43.4 overall grade. And Trey Smith has a 73.3 overall grade. Almost exactly 30 points better. He has been fantastic with the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's almost as if the Chiefs were listening to my podcast because they made two huge steals here because Smith was actually on the contested draft board at pick 83, and the Chiefs got him over 120 picks or later. Just a steal of a player again, and these are the moves you make. The Packers could have easily, simply just drafted Creed Humphrey at pick 62, Royce Newman, where you drafted Cole Van Lannan, if you liked him so much, and Trey Smith in the sixth round, and you would be looking at a much improved offensive line right now, who would be very cheap, and you would have a guard in Royce Newman who you were who you would be developing, but not needing to start yet, because he's proven he's not really ready to start yet. So the process here was great by Brian Gudikins, but it's the exact players he messed up on, and you just can't mess up like this. I'm just a guy who doesn't even know that much about football, but I can gather all this data and this knowledge and seem to be able to make better decisions than Brian Gutekind seems to be making. Next, how about the Packers? Uh, how did the Packers use their money this offseason? Uh, and the first big paycheck the Packers wrote this offseason was to Aaron Jones. The Packers didn't have very much money, and so they had to use it very wisely. And this is how they decided to use it. The first major way they did was Aaron Jones... They gave him a contract that was worth about $12 million a year for four years, okay? And Aaron Jones, he's a very talented running back. I get that. He's a great all-around back, great pass-catching running back. But is he worth it? Is he worth that kind of money? And the answer is no. Running backs don't matter. Running backs get hurt more than any other position in the NFL. Running back success is more likely determined by the team around them more than even themselves. For example, the offensive line in front of running back deem how good that running back usually performs. Because of this... Running back is one of the least important positions to invest in straight up. And yet, the Packers decided to invest $12 million average per year in a running back. That's a questionable decision at best, but I would say that's just not smart management. That's a bad move. That's a bad investment when you only have so much money. The Packers on the roster right now, Aaron Jones is the best running back when it comes to overall grades. But A.J. Dillon's basically right there with him. Aaron Jones has a 74.5 overall grade so far this season. A.J. Dillon has a 73.4 overall grade, almost identical. Yet, Aaron Jones costs $12 million a year, while A.J. Dillon costs about $1.2 million a year. Not to mention, the Packers even found a running back they loved in the seventh round of the NFL draft this season in Kylan Hill, who played fantastic in the preseason. He looked like a young Aaron Jones, and he cost the Packers around $500,000 a year. And people might say, but Aaron Jones is so dynamic as a pass catcher, you can't let a guy like that go. Okay, 
That's a good point. I think you need to have guys that can catch the football in your running back room. Okay, let's just look and see who are the top receiving running backs right now in the NFL. Okay, and two of the top three receiving running backs in the NFL right now are Cordero Patterson and Kenneth Gainwell. Cordero Patterson signed a one-year, $3 million contract with the Falcons in mid-April, about a month after free agency even began. Okay, and right there, everything is the exact same. You still have A.J. Dillon, you still would draft Kylan Hill, and you don't re-sign Aaron Jones. And if you were to sign Cordero Patterson, you were talking about having not only a great, the second best receiving running back in the NFL right now, but you would also have the best kick returning in the NFL on your team for a special teams unit uh, for the Packers that has been one of the worst for years and is the worst in the NFL right now. Okay. And you would have all of that for $9 million less per year on average. Or even if you didn't get Cordero Patterson, you didn't sign him, but you drafted in the fifth round, Kenneth Gainwell, a running back I really liked before the draft, who is now the third highest rated receiving running back in the NFL. He's playing for the Eagles right now, and they wish they could get him on the field more because he's that good. He's that dynamic. And these moves play into each other, okay? Because if the Packers truly love Royce Newman, but they understand where he is valued in the fourth round, where you drafted Newman, you could have drafted Kenneth Gainwell in the fourth round, and you still could have got Newman in the sixth round. And that's what I'm talking about. This is why I question how good of a general manager Brian Gudikins really is sometimes. Just the way he spends his money just does not make sense sometimes. If you use data that's out there, you can make wise decisions for your team. The Packers already have a lot of leaders in their locker room. You don't need to re-sign Aaron Jones just because he played well for you or because he's a good guy or he's a leader. You have to financially do what is best for your team. You don't invest money into a certain stock because you like their values no one does that. You invest money into a stock because uh, you you want to invest in the thing that gets you the most money back in the long run. And this is a business and you have to handle it the same way sometimes. And it's not just $12 million a year for Aaron Jones. It's $12 million for four years. And that's money that's kind of locked away now. So let's just say the Packers decided to not re-sign Aaron Jones. Instead, they signed Cordero Patterson, saved $9 million on average, now had one of the better special teams units in the NFL, and simply ran a three-running back committee between Kylan Hill, A.J. Dillon, Cordero Patterson. I would love that. Not just because the Packers would have saved a lot of money, but also because that would be a great trio of running backs that would be able to endure even if uh, injuries were to occur. Now, Let's look at the next major move the Packers made this offseason, and that was to re-sign Kevin King to this roster. Now, Kevin King signed a deal that the money he is owed is actually spread out over several seasons, but technically he signed a one-year $5 million deal. So eventually, the Packers will have to count $5 million on their salary cap because of this deal, and that's just terrible. Kevin King has shown us time and time again he is awful, he's terrible in coverage on the outside, and he cannot play in the out, on the outside in the NFL. Not to mention, this is a guy who has consistently struggled with injuries and now has missed two of the first four games of the regular season because of an injury. I like the Packers' process in drafting a corner early in Eric Stokes, who has insane speed, which you can't teach or develop, that really seemed like the right decision. But how could have the Packers still gotten depth, okay, at the cornerback position, so they were ready in case of injury, uh, which is happening right now, but gotten a much better player, and there's two easy answers to that. Okay, um, The first, which you all know way too well, Richard Sherman recently signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a whopping $1.35 million contract, which is not even fully guaranteed. The best corner of the last decade could be on your team right now for 
a third of the price that you paid Kevin King. So there, the Packers would have found a much better option at outside cornerback while saving $3.5 million. Okay, boom, really easy. And the other is Casey Hayward, now of the Las Vegas Raiders. Casey Hayward was a top five cornerback in the last 10 years, and he actually started his career with the Packers before the Packers made the terrible decision to move on from him. He is coming off a year where he didn't necessarily play very well. But that was really a, fl- a fluke because so far this season, he has been phenomenal and is the best corner in the NFL right now with an 86.4 coverage grade, better than anybody else in football. He's given up only 39 yards of coverage over the first four games of the season. And you want to know how much he was worth over the offseason of free agency? Two and a half million dollars. So you're telling me there were two cornerbacks on the market that their total salary cap hit for the Packers would have been less than Kevin King's cap hit for the Packers. How do you not make moves like this? I don't get it. It blows my mind. If I had the choice in a heartbeat, I would have signed these two guys at their current contracts, brought them in, switched my scheme to a cover three, moved Jair Alexander in the slot. Now you're talking about having the best group of corners in the NFL. And for how much money? Literally almost nothing. Because Jair is still on his rookie contract. The other two would have costed a total of like $4 million. That's nothing. And yeah, sure, those guys aren't probably coming back in 2021. They might not be on the team long term. Who cares? I think sometimes GMs feel like they need to make a decision that like these guys could be long-term pieces. No, these guys are role players for just one year, maybe two, and that's okay because there will be different budget options every single year that you need to take advantage of. And the Packers had the option to take advantage of two amazing corners who were on the market who had a lot of promise. They've showed... High play long for a very long time during their career. And they it was a low-risk, high-reward type of move that the Packers should have made here. And with making two moves like that, if the Packers deal with an injury like they have to Jair Alexander, the Packers would still have depth because they'd have first-round pick Eric Stokes uh, on the bench. And they would have longtime slot corner Chan Sullivan on the bench to come in and play. And that would, those are great backups for you. So now... Between the Aaron Jones decision and the Kevin King decision, the Packers could have saved a total of almost $10 million just this offseason. So there, we would have fixed the problem we have at cornerback right now with only having Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes as our competent corners, um, and we would have had plenty of depth going into the offseason, going into this regular season. And we would have totally upgraded our secondary at the very same time. We have saved tons of money in the process of from not signing Aaron Jones and then still having a great trio of trio of running backs and we would have a much improved offensive line and we'd have a great and deep secondary uh and now how about at receiver I really like our receivers um but there was a move that I didn't like in the draft and that was drafting Amari Rodgers in the third round I wanted to like Amari Rogers. I did, but he just was not athletic enough for me. And I just don't see it from him. I think he is too limited as an athlete to be uh, a really good NFL player an NFL receiver. And I think management might've actually been trying to listen to Rogers because Rogers stated how he needs a true slot receiver who can get open and he can trust. But when Rogers said that to management, in the spring or late winter, uh, Rogers wanted Randall Cobb and the Packers said, no, this is a better option. We want a young option. And, uh, I agree. Most of the time you should choose the young option, but not if the young option just isn't even close to as good as the veteran option of Randall Cobb would be. 
with Randall Cobb on the roster, Amari Rodgers is pretty much no use to this team. And I get Cobb could get injured, but I just don't like Amari Rodgers that much. I don't. And I think the Packers realized this as well, that Amari Rodgers just is not that good either at this point. And that's what helped in making the trade for Randall Cobb because they were like, well, this helps us anyways, and it makes Rodgers happy. Uh, because, uh, And so let's move forward with this because they knew Amari Rodgers was nowhere clear, nowhere near close to playing at a high level um, to actually help this Packers offense. So maybe if the Packers had listened to their MVP quarterback um, and when he asked, hey, I think I need a true slot receiver, I think Randall Cobb would be great, could we trade for him? If they would have listened to that a lot sooner and they still make the same deal that they did for Randall Cobb in that trade, maybe the Packers don't have this offseason of drama because Rodgers felt heard and respected. And now you still would have had a extra third round pick to work with because your slot receiver need had been filled and Roger, Aaron Rodgers is happy. And you would have saved a lot of sleepless nights for this coaching staff, for Brian Gutekunst. And so sometimes... You do have to make moves for the culture of the team. I get that. And this is one of those moves. But it could, and obviously, looking back, should have been should have been made a lot sooner. Now, the Packers still have an extra $10 million uh, that they could work with. And with that money, I would have loved to see them sign receiver Corey Davis with that cash. But honestly, I don't think he would have signed in Green Bay because he knew he would not be the number one guy in this offense. And I think that's a big reason why he signed with the New York Jets, because he wanted a chance to be a number one wide receiver. So that probably would not have worked. But there was a budget signing the Packers could have made. And that guy I would have loved uh, to see in a Packers uniform was John Ross Jr. Because currently on the roster, the Packers have nobody who truly can be a deep threat um, behind MVS if MVS is injured. And by the way, MVS is injured. He has a hamstring injury that will keep him out three weeks and maybe longer because MVS wins with speed. And if he cannot get that hamstring fully healthy, he is not going to be effective as a deep threat at wide receiver. But right now on the roster, the Packers have no backup deep threat on this roster. Nobody who runs extremely fast. Uh, But John Ross was an option for the Packers and they did not sign him this offseason. John Ross signed with the Giants uh, in the offseason for a one-year $2.25 million contract, which is kind of a lot. But he is a great safety net for this team being that big deep threat. And to have this guy as your fifth-string receiver instead of maybe an Amari Rodgers because the Packers would not have needed to draft him if they would have drafted for Randall Cobb much earlier, or traded, sorry, for Randall Cobb much earlier, then John Ross could have been our fifth-string receiver on this roster. And he might not have usually played, but when he finally would have played, when the Packers had MVS out with injury, he could have came in and played at a high level because he would be an exact replica of what MVS brings to this offense. And just this last week, John Ross got the opportunity to play and he played very well. He played in 28 snaps on Sunday for the New York Giants. He was targeted just three times. And on those three targets, he had three catches for 77 yards and a touchdown. And one of those catches was a 52-yard bomb. In his first game, he was suited up for, for the Giants. So maybe he doesn't even play for the Packers week one through three. But in week four, He could have had the exact same type of play for the Packers by replacing an injured MVS, which would have been huge as the Packers offense really was unable to beat the Steelers deep down the field without having that big play threat in MVS out there to win vertically. So sometimes 
there was budget options like a John Ross Jr. you could have added to this team as well to make sure the depth on your offense at wide receiver was settled as well. There are injuries that are going to happen probably to pretty much every every position group on your team except maybe quarterback. And because of that, you need to have replacements ready to go, guys ready to step in. And obviously, you're not going to have high, super high quality guys. But if you have budget options like these, like a John Ross available to you, you should go out and make that deal. Now, how about on defense? The Packers right now seem to be very thin at the edge rusher position with Zadarius Smith officially having back surgery and is going to be out for probably the rest of the regular season and maybe even longer. And here are my thoughts on this. Never can you predict if someone will get injured or not. You can't know this information. But what we do know is Zadarius Smith was very unhappy with his situation in Green Bay. Over the course of the offseason, the Packers made several moves in order to help bring their salary cap down for this season to bring back the likes of guys like Aaron Jones and Kevin King. Zadarius Smith was one of those guys, and the money the Packers moved around as a signing bonus opened up $7 million of cap space for this season by messing with Zadarius Smith's contract. But because of that move, Smith's cap hit for 2022 will be astronomical for an edge rush edge rusher at over $28 million. Zadarius noticed this and was very unhappy because he wanted a reworked deal and he knew he would most likely have to be cut after this season because of that financial move the Packers made. Good teams recognize when they have players who are upset, they work with them or they trade them while they still have value. We have seen this all the time. A person gets a new contract when they're upset, like an Xavier Howard this offseason season for the Dolphins. A cornerback, he was pretty upset about his uh, newly signed contract just a year and a half ago. They reworked it to make it right. But if you are not willing to do that, you can't have a disgruntled player like that on your team. And personally, you should move on from him and get trade value while you still can. Look at the Raiders a few years ago. They traded Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears for three first round picks. And the process was great because Mack only had one year left on his deal. And he didn't want to keep playing for the Raiders. And the Raiders got the most out of that situation. The Packers had the opportunity to do the same this offseason. The move itself would have saved the Packers only about $1.75 million in 2021. But it would have saved the Packers $15 million in 2022. And the Packers would have received draft picks for him. And Zedaria Smith has been a very good player over the last few seasons for the Packers. He led the NFL in pressures in 2019. In 2020, he was still great all season as a pass rusher with an 84.2 pass rush grade. And with those back-to-back seasons, if he really was as disgruntled as he was, those two seasons are worth at least a second-round pick. And so maybe you trade Zadarius Smith to the Miami Dolphins or the New York Jets, and you pick up a second-round pick in that trade. Maybe a future pick as well. Now you handled the disgruntled player, you have an extra second-round pick, and you have another $1.75 million to spend. Now the Packers have $9 million to work with again, and because you trade Zadarius Smith, you need to have more depth at the edge position. And to do that, the Packers could have signed Melvin Ingram, formerly of the LA Chargers. Melvin Ingram is a longtime high-end pass rusher in the NFL who has struggled with injuries at times, but when healthy, has been a very good starter. He was unsigned until late in the summer and until July 20th, and he ended up signing with the Steelers team that he recognized he probably would not start for, but would merely be the third edge rusher on that team, and so he signed for just $4 million. That same deal, 
the Packers could have done as he would have been the third edge rusher on our team if we would have traded Zadari Smith. And the Packers could have signed him for just that $4 million and they still would have had $5 million more million to work with. And Melvin Ingram, I talked about him on my preview preview podcast for the Steelers. He has been very good so far this season. Overall, he has a 76.2 overall grade, but more specifically, he has an elite 89 pass rush grade and already has 15 pressures on the season, even though he's only started one of four games this season. Our third edge rusher on the team right now only has about two pressures on the season, and Ingram's presence would be making our entire defense play at a much higher level already at this point. This would have been a huge move for the Packers if they would have moved forward with this, and they wouldn't have to deal with a Zadarius Smith that was disgruntled and now a Zadarius Smith that is simply hurt. The final moves I will mention is at the linebacker position. Brian Gudikins actually made a fantastic signing in linebacker Devondre Campbell to add to the team, and he has been our number one linebacker right away and has played very, very well for the Packers. But behind Campbell, the Packers have had little help from any other linebackers on this roster. Oren Burks, Ty Summers, Chris Barnes, all have not played well this season or in the past. All three of these guys should not be relied on, and I even mentioned in my last podcast the Packers should take the opportunity of recently released Jalen Smith and add him to this group of linebackers, as I believe he could be our number two linebacker right away and make a huge difference. But also, the Packers had opportunities to sign other major players at the position, like linebacker K.J. Wright, who the Raiders signed for just under $4 million, which the Packers could have afforded for a veteran linebacker who has been a great player in the NFL for a very long time and has been known to be a great overall linebacker, specifically in coverage. But also, if the Packers went ahead and make the moves I mentioned here before, like trading Zedary Smith, receiving that second-round pick in return, there was one player in the draft who was notably getting passed over pick after pick, and that player was Jeremiah Owuso-Koromoa, linebacker out of Notre Dame. We'll just call him JOK. This guy was on the consensus draft board, ranked as player number 19, a top 20 pick, but he ended up not being selected until late in the second round at pick 52. At Notre Dame, JOK played slot corner primarily in college, but he was transitioning to play linebacker in the NFL at six foot two, 215 pounds. And everybody knew this guy was going to be fantastic in coverage with his experience. They were just unsure of how he would make the transition to linebacker. And so far, he has been fantastic. In the four games so far this season, he has been solid in coverage like we would have thought with the 70.4 coverage grade. But what has been the most surprising is his 89.2 elite run defense grade, which is phenomenal. And that is that's part of the game we were unsure of how he would perform right away. The Packers could have added JOK with that extra second round pick and added a linebacker with true speed, elite athleticism that they never have had at that position, while still taking advantage of the best value in the draft by drafting a guy in JOK who was picked 30 picks later after he was supposed to be. This is a move the Packers could make could have made, and we're now talking about having one of the best defenses in the NFL just like that. Now, with all these moves the Packers could have made, you get Cordero Patterson, the second best receiving running back in the NFL, instead of Aaron Jones. You get Casey Hayward, the number one coverage cornerback in Richard Sherman, instead of Kevin King. You get Randall Cobb early, save a third-round draft pick, make Aaron Rodgers happy. You get a much better offensive line with Humphrey and Smith instead of Myers and Van Landen, and you still get that depth piece that we want if there is an injury with Royce Newman. And you trade Zadarius Smith and get a second-round pick and instead also sign Melvin Ingram, Ingram, one of the top edge rushers so far this season. 
And then with that extra second round pick you got from the Zadarius Smith trade, you go and get JOK, the second best linebacker in the NFL so far this season, and improve your linebacking core. And you still have an extra third round pick to play around with. Maybe here you package that third round pick and a fifth round pick, and you go into the second round and you draft a Rondale Moore to be your slot receiver of the future. A guy who was the most dynamic receiver in the draft and a guy who the Packers don't have who can win actually actually win after the catch other than Devontae Adams. Already this season, with receivers who have at least 20% of targets in their offense, he is the second most yards after catch per reception, only behind Deshaun Jackson. Rondale Moore is amazing at creating yards after the catch, and not only that, but he is a dynamic punt returner as well, which Amari Rodgers has not been, and we now would have improved both our kick and punt return game with Cordero Patterson and Rondale Moore and entirely opened up our offense in new ways as well with both of these players. As a GM, you need to use data to find the best players. There's so much information out there that even I can use to truly elevate which player is the better prospect, which a GM should be able to do. And also, a GM, you have to find the best deals. You should always be bargain shopping and taking low-cost, low-risk opportunities like the ones we talked about today because they can have very high returns on those investments. And if the Packers would have done that, you are talking about an entirely different team right now in Green Bay, which I 100% believe would be talked about as the best team in football if these moves would have been made because they would have had the Packers would have better starters all over this team. And the Packers would have had, would have had even more depth throughout this roster to be ready to face adversity and injuries throughout the year. So is Brian Gutekinds a good GM? Yeah, he's done some really good things, but he's not great. And he's missing opportunities to take this Green Bay team over the top and make a much easier path to a Super Bowl. So that's all we have today, folks. Make sure to stay tuned for more episodes of Packers Now. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, give me a review so I, so I can hear what you guys think about the podcast and tell your friends about Packers Now so that they can get all the latest updates on the green and gold because it's always Packers season at Packers Now. Thanks, guys.